Guitarist and songwriter Jen Foster sings, I don't want to hear about your problems and how the world has gone to hell. When bill collectors come calling, I just pretend I'm someone else. I don't want to clean my room today. I don't want to turn on my TV. I just want to have it all my way. It's not easy being me. They told me, if I'm late again, don't bother even coming in. It looks like the drinks are on me. I just want to be happy. I don't want to be sad. I just want to be happy. Is that too much to ask? Just want the sun to keep shining every day of my life. I just want to be happy. This is the After Dinner Scholar podcast from Wyoming Catholic College, and I'm your host, Dr. Jim Tonkowicz. While there may be people in this world who don't care one way or another about happiness, it's safe to say that most people would agree with Jen Foster. I just want to be happy. Is that too much to ask? The question is how to achieve happiness, if achieve is even the right word. University of Texas Austin Professor of Government and Philosophy, Dr. Jay Buzhashevsky, takes on that question in a new book, How and How Not to Be Happy. Dr. Buzhashevsky lectured at Wyoming Catholic College on that topic and was kind enough to join us for this podcast about happiness. Dr. Buzhashevsky, let's begin with this troubling term, happiness. What do we typically mean by that? And what do you mean by that? I'm glad you broke that into two questions. What people typically mean by happiness is um, usually I'm feeling good. I'm having, I'm having pleasant feelings. I'm having good feelings. Even some psychologists who claim to be studying happiness and say, uh, they'll say, well, now we're not going to trouble ourselves with the centuries of philosophical discussion as to what happiness is, and we will not define it. For our purposes, happiness is a feeling that, <laughs> and then of course they're defining it. People generally think that it's a feeling. Uh, I think that that's, uh, that's a mistake. Happiness is often associated with um, good feelings. If a person never had any good feelings and was in unremitting misery, it would be difficult to call them happy. But uh, happiness is not a feeling per se. Happiness is flourishing. Happiness is living well. That's a verb. I think happiness is an activity. That's not a new idea with me. It goes back about more than 20 centuries to, uh, to Aristotle. But I think that he was, uh, he was on the nose. Happiness is, is living well and doing well. Mm -hmm. Now, you write in the first chapter of your book, there is some grain of truth in everything a human being finds plausible. That does not mean it expresses the whole truth and expresses it well. And uh, it doesn't even mean that it expresses a lot of it. The trick is to unravel what it does get right from what it doesn't, which is pretty much the method of this book. How is that your method in this book? What do you do in the book? Well, I consider many of the things that people say happiness lies in. They say happiness lies in, well, of course, feelings. They, they say that happiness is going to come from having money. It's going to come from having power. It's going to have, come from having friends. It's going to come from having love. It's going to come from having meaning. And, you know, there's something right about all of these things. But by asking ourselves questions, we uh, can, the right questions, we can remind ourselves of, um, of the problems with those answers. 
For, you know, take, for example, the idea that happiness lies in wealth. It's not true. The, you know, the most wealthy sections of the population have suicide rates as high as the very poorest sections of the population. Uh, in wealthy high-status communities, depression and, and suicide are very, very high. But there's a grain of truth in it. We are, we are embodied beings. We have material needs. We need to wear clothes. We need to eat. We need to feed our families. We need to have roofs over our heads. So you can see how from that grain of truth, somebody can fall into the idea, well, the more of that stuff I have, the happier I'll be. Mm -hmm. So knowing what to do with these good things and not to make of them the good and the very meaning of flourishing is, uh, is, is the trick here. Mm -hmm. Well, let's take another example. Let's take the example of health. I remember uh, as a kid, some advertisement declared, when you've got your health, you've got just about everything. Yes, um, yes. Why would we believe that? And what's the problem with that? Well, it is, it is harder for, for most people, for almost everybody, it is harder to be happy when you're sick. Um, we, uh, we, Jesus healed people. God knows this. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't expect us to just, to just say, oh, joy, hip, hip, hooray, when we're dying of cancer or when we're in great pain. But, uh, but, um, on the other hand, there are some happy, unhealthy people. Interestingly, we can offer our sufferings to God, which is, uh, an enormous, an enormous uh, contribution to our happiness and our salvation and you can have health and not be happy many people we 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 spend we spend millions of dollars the market is enormous not just for beauty products that's about the body too but for uh, for health products and for gyms and for this and for that everybody's out running and yet people do not seem to be happier they seem um, obsessed i think a part of this is fear of death I remember watching cyclists when we lived in uh, California, mm -hmm. and my goodness, they were in amazing shape. And I never saw a one of them look like he was having fun. No, no. <laughs> There's a strained look in the face. Yeah. <laughs> well, after you run through wealth, health, beauty, fame, glory, self-esteem, power, pleasure, painlessness, meaning, love, virtue, and luck, which is an interesting one, you write that if you amass all these things, quote, from the worldly wise man's point of view, that simply is happiness. But then you ask, but is it? Yeah, well, I say almost that that is the worldly wise man's view of happiness. The, world wise, the worldly wise man's view is, and even some pretty fairly wise people have thought this, this is pretty close to what Aristotle thought, is that, is that you need, you need um, virtue plus luck. You need, um, you need all that good stuff but then you need the virtue to know what to do with it. Otherwise, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ruin you instead of helping you. So your question was, what's wrong with this? Well, it's, look, first of all, let's say what's right about it. It's not a bad approach to happiness. If you wanted to try to define the happiness of this life insofar as it is uh, uh, attainable by the use of your own power short of the grace of God, that's a pretty good answer. And it tells you, yeah, okay, I should appropriately pursue these good things in life, not to excess. I should be you know, knowing what, when to use them, how to use them, what to pursue. I should be guided by virtue. It tells me how to, how to, how to raise my children. But you know, you can have all those things and you say, is this all there is? I was giving a talk on 
this topic to a group of Catholic young professionals. And one fellow came up to me afterward and he said, you know, I'm, I'm very organized. I set out a list of goals for my life. I was going to do this and I was going to do this and I was going to do this. He said, I wasn't a madman. I wasn't some materialistic, crazy person. I was trying to be a good Catholic. I, I, you know, but I, I clicked off all the things on my list. I had it, I had it all. And at a fairly young age, I'm still young. He said, and, and I thought, well, now what? Now what? And you know, you can attain those, all of these things and there's something missing. We say, is this all there is? You, you know, the, the, the expression, are we having fun yet? It's a sardonic expression, but it sort of points to this fact that you can be in the midst of satisfactions and not be satisfied. In the midst of, 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 of pleasures and the pleasures become empty. In the midst of possessions and you somehow feel, feel uh, naked and poor. You know, you say, is, is this all there is? There must be something more. There is something, nothing in this, in the created order can completely fulfill and satisfy us. We long for something more. Well, I remember a song a long time ago. You know, I went to the circus and it was this and it was that. And, and I said to my dad, is that all there is to a circus? <laughs> you know, you know, and the refrain is, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball if that's all there is. Yeah, but you know, and the only problem then is breaking out the booze and having a ball isn't enough either. Right. And that isn't, that isn't making you any more satisfied. It's amazing to me that many people burn out on this and, and say it's a sort of a self-delusion. You can't, you can't really stop wanting happiness, but they say, I am going to give up. I'm going to settle. I'm just going to accept that I'm going to be unhappy. I'm not going to be striving. What they're really doing is assuming that their happiness lies in giving up the desire for happiness. And, uh, and you know, that doesn't work either. You can, you can it, saying, let's just uh, keep dancing and have a lot of booze is, is also a version of another of the theories of what brings happiness. Annihilation. Whiskey River, take my mind. <laughs> yeah. So once we've exhausted all the good things of this life uh, and end up with maybe imperfect happiness, as you put yes, it. Yes, that's what it's that's Where what do we look it. for perfect happiness? That if you really want perfect happiness, then if you want that fulfillment, that completeness that, we, that leaves nothing further to be desired, we're not going to find it in this life and we're not going to find it in any natural goods in the created order. We are going to find it only in the vision of God himself. We're going to have to wait for heaven for that. So that means that, okay, fine, while you're hoping for good fortune and practicing virtue in this life, seek God with all your heart and put that first. I mean, then we will be satisfied when we see his face and not if we don't. Mm -hmm. We were made for that. I mean, it's, 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 it's possible to understand this from all sorts of points of view, not only from the point of view that nothing in this world satisfies us, and yet our desire must be for something. It would be crazy to have a desire that nothing could fulfill, so it must be for something outside of the created order. But, there's, but there are other points. For example, to see the face of God with my mind, this would be, my happiness surely lies in the highest use of my highest power. Well, wouldn't that be it? My intellectual powers are higher than my bodily powers. My intellectual powers concern knowledge. The, the best thing to know, the greatest object of knowledge, would be the source of all meaning, the one in whom everything makes sense, the one, the one who is the truth and the first truth. Mm -hmm. And who were the 
influences in writing the book? Which thinkers were sort of at the forefront of your mind? Well, the, the first and foremost for me was Thomas Aquinas. Uh, a few years ago, I wrote a a line-by-line commentary on his treatise on happiness and ultimate purpose, which is a part of the Summa Theologiae. And, um, well, that's, that's, that's good. It's out, it's published, but how many people, even thoughtful and intelligent people, are going to have the time or the inclination to sit down and read 666 pages of line-by-line commentary on Thomas Aquinas? Not very many. And so I, I realized I needed to write something that was... Uh, it's not just channeling Thomas Aquinas, although I'm I'm obviously in his enormously in his debt. It's my take on things, but it's uh, it's in a much shorter package, easier to digest, and with everyday illustrations and uh, connecting to our to our culture. That was when Aristotle was was important here too. Thomas Aquinas himself was sort of bouncing off Aristotle and doing some of what Aristotle did, but doing it better and pointing out that Aristotle didn't even follow all of his premises to all of their conclusions, which is very interesting. Well, and the, the form of it made me think of Plato as well, and Socrates. Well, I try, I, I, I try to. The, the, great thing about, the great thing about Socrates, Plato's hero and the character in most of Plato's dialogues, is that he's, he's doing par excellence what I'm trying to do in this book. He's trying to cut through what we think we know to what might be at the bottom of it and to assemble reminders. And sometimes on the way there, we find that we've been fools. But the object isn't just to make fools of us, but to uh, drive us toward, toward the truth. So, so thank you. If it reminds you of that, I'm, I'm very glad and, uh, and, and humbled. I don't think I live up to it, but, um, but sure, that's one of the aims. Who is this book for? If I buy two copies... Who should I give the second? To whom should I give the second one? Well, I think that um, that you should give it to somebody who is still interested in the question. There are some people who are so immersed in present satisfactions that they're suppressing even their longing for the truth and even for the even their longing for happiness. They're trying not to think about these things. And the right time for somebody to read this is when he's ready to begin thinking about them or is thinking about them or maybe when he's on the verge of thinking about it and he's a, a, a person who might be pushed over that edge by something like this. So that would be good. I think it's also, it's all, I've also written it though for, uh, well, for people like, like you who um, do know some of this stuff, but I want to help us, I want to help us to assemble reminders and to put it all into better order in our minds and prepare us to talk to other people too and, uh, and, to, um, and to maybe get our own lives in slightly better order. So it's for people like you and then it's also for, let's call them seekers. Dr. Buzhyshevsky ends his book with these words, quote, blessed are those who refuse to drug their discontent with futile satisfactions. Supremely happy are those who settle for nothing less than supreme happiness." Close quote. If you'd like to listen to Dr. Buzhyshevsky's lecture to the students, faculty, and staff of Wyoming Catholic College, it's available on our website, wyomingcatholic.edu. And let me suggest that Dr. Buzhyshevsky's book, How and How Not to Be Happy, would be excellent Advent reading as we prepare for the coming into the world of the one who put that hunger for happiness in our souls to begin with and who offers us supreme happiness beyond all telling. For Wyoming Catholic College, 
This is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.